Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Tom. It is the uh, 12 Days of Star Wars, and we are at the fifth ep- episode, so it's five protocol droids. I thought it was five Sarlacc pits. No, 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 no. <laughs> five Sarlacc pits. That's ridiculous. But, no, there's only three Sarlacc pits, <laughs> and they're abandoned, according to uh, new re- revelations. Ah. <laughs> uh... But yes, we are talking about the first of the Star Wars prequel, or the, I guess the Disney sideways story things. We're talking about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. The uh, Actually, it was the number one grossing film of 2016. So Disney was right about making this one, as opposed to Solo, which didn't make money. This one made a lot of money, and also notoriously had some major reshoots. But uh, from what we can tell... What they what was clearly reshot worked really well. So uh, this is gonna be a fun discussion of some really bad and some really good uh, of this film. Uh, what do you guys have to say, Bruce? You want to head this one up? Yeah. Uh, so I, again, I try to have a consistent approach in my analysis. I try to figure out what they were looking to do here, and this one is just interesting because I see it. I see the puzzle pieces here. This is possibly the best fitted prequel and what i mean by that is they took characters who were on screen and in the same role and capacity you know mon matha uh they took those characters who've been there but were clearly like used mostly as window dressing they took narrative elements that you know the shootout over Tatooine, the boarding of the senator's vessel, all of that is backdrop for the Skywalker story in a certain sense. It's it's basically so you can have some droids show up uh, with a with a with a MacGuffin, but it's it's clearly an in medias res. You know, the whole premise is Episode Four uh, is this you know this middle piece of a space serial, and this little slice of prequel fits in like a glove and they clearly went to great efforts i mean to the timing of scenes it fits in it looks visually of a piece with a new hope in every way they could uh it's not overdone with the cgi i felt they did excellent work like from the standpoint of building like a ship in a bottle this movie might be perfect but the, the weirdest problem is, is it's just not a Star Wars movie properly or easily. It's Seven Samurai, maybe, or it's the, you know, uh, what's the one? It's the uh, Dirty, the Dirty Dozen. Dozen. Yeah, it's it's a movie which is going to introduce you to characters that it plans to murder. Oh, spoiler. Um, it's going to do that. And that's not a very Star Wars thing at all. Like, that is, like, this movie is anathema to the while it is perfectly fitted like a little missing puzzle piece unto upright snu- s- stuck on the edge of episode 4 it could not be more jarringly distinct in tone and tenor and then furthermore like even though you know that people died in episode 4 like you know it and you do see more people i think die in 4 than in anything subsequent like good people like rebels named rebels die but i think it just is a little too like it just doesn't star wars very well and i'm interested in your thoughts so i will again and this seems to be a theme with these movies i want to state that this is what is 
lovingly referred to as a midquel. This and um, Solo are both midquels because they're not full prequels because we already have those, and they're definitely not sequels. So this is what we call a midquel. It's this we in, we've jammed another story into this space that exists that we know exists, but up to this point hasn't really been told. Uh, this is where TV shows tend to live. Clone Wars, Rebels, Resistance, I think is the new one. Um, you know, this is where video games live. This the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian. You know, these are all these little side stories that live in these interstitial pieces between the movies. And to make another movie and jam it in, uh, you're right. It, it is perfectly crafted to fit where it fits. However, I think that it works as a store as a Star Wars story because it shows. I mean, you can essentially take a new hope as almost a propaganda piece, right? <laughs> from from an in yeah. um, whereas this shows sort of the grim and gritty side of the rebellion. Rebellions are not clean. They're messy. They're full of of bad people doing bad things and good people doing bad things and bad people doing good things. Uh, they're very muddy. Uh, things are very you know nothing is clean. Nothing is perfect. And as a war film, which is what this is, this is straight up war film a la Dirty Dozen or They Were Soldiers or even Saving Private Ryan. Um, this is a war film that just gets on the ground floor and shows you what it's like for the, the random schlub in the trenches. Now, but but this does not live in a universe where two movies later, a bunch of midget furballs with spears and sticks defeat the oh, empire right. That's th <laughs> and do so losing one Ewok. In well, process. I'm not going to talk about all the problems with Return of the Jedi until a few days from now. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I'm just saying this is of a completely different, like you don't make a war movie in your Ewok universe. That is my right. problem. Uh, thematically, you're right. It doesn't fit thematically, but it does fit. It, I think it fits the universe. It does not fit the stories being told in the other films. That's, that's that's what I'm trying to emphasize. Is there is room in the universe? Okay, I, I there is room that. in this universe for stories like this. However, because it's a movie, it fits. It's supposed to fit tone thematically and tonally with the other movies, and it does not. And that is absolutely 100 percent true. So I both agree with you and disagree with you. I just the degree to which this does not fit. I don't think it fits in the movies. I think it fits fine in the universe. Uh, Assuming you think the universe is. One that affords realism. Well, which again, I, I'm just not. Sure I think it you does. can have realism because... elements, but there's nothing realism. Re there's nothing close to resembling realism no. in this either. Like, like this movie is fair enough. Unrealistic too, but it's unrealistic in a gritty way as opposed to a bright and shiny way. It is. It's definitely unrealistic in a way that 19, you know, 50s and 60s war, World War II movies were. Correct, and that's you what it's emulating correct. is those kind of movies. Yeah, yeah. I, I would argue that this is probably what more people were expecting future Star Wars films to have been under Lucas until, you know, I mean, Return of the Jedi has got, you know, Ewoks. We'll get to that later. But this is more in the, this is what I would say more of a tribute to Empire than, any, than Solo was because there's a lot of stuff keeps going wrong in Empire. This is that, this is that same kind of thematic look. I think they were looking at Empire as kind of, oh, wow, the, the, um, Empire is actually pretty badass when uh, there's not a Jedi around, which is, I think, you know, the, the key also is there's no Jedi in this film. There's only reference to Obi-Wan. Vader shows up, 
and his two scenes he's in, he basically it's the Vader we always want. Well, I'll I'll talk about that later. Uh, let's talk about the beginning of this film because that's where the most of the problems are in this film is at the beginning. Oh yeah, the, well, the first half or the actually beginning. The, the first half of this, the first half of this film is incredibly poorly paced. Um, the story introduces characters that, especially in the character of Saw Gerrera, that vacillate wildly in tone and attitude. <gasps> I don't. I mean, oh, I love Forrest Whitaker, but oh man. Um, <laughs> they didn't write they did not write him very well. I mean, Forrest gives it his all, but but they, they I mean, the character, just, yeah, yeah. And then like Mads Mikkelsen is fine, but he's nothing special. Jane Erso is at best fine. Like I don't hate her performance. I think the I think the character was. I think uh, Felicity Jones played this fine, but Jane Erso is not an interesting character, and nobody in this movie is interesting, and that's the problem. It's so. Well, dis- I would argue one. Though. Which one? Uh, well, actually, it's two. It's Cassian and uh, um, uh, why am I forgetting his droid's name? K two S O. Yeah, Cassian's not interesting. He's 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 you know off-brand Han Solo, and he's not even good at no, that. But- I don't I don't know. These these characters reached me more than the you know the charming rogues gallery did in Solo. These these characters found me a little bit better than that. But again, I think there's. There, you're right. The the first half of the movie has horrible pacing problems, but I will also say that like the characters got a little more like lively screen time out of them. Like I was not able to pick quirks out of some of the other characters in other hell. The first, the, the first three prequels, all the random extra Jedi, which what Jedi is this one? Yeah. No one so wants to be Kit Fisto for Halloween is what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Whereas these guys, I mean, I've got a little spark from them all. Yeah. There's a little, I agree. There's a little, maybe they're just written a little. Yeah. Bit right. That's maybe they're just written. A I agree better. that they should be written a little better, but the characters like they could have been interesting, but because the first half of the movie is so disjointed, both in tone and pacing and just almost everything really is just not well done. Now I, this is where I confess to you guys that when I walked out of this film, the first time I saw it, when I walked out of this film, I was thinking, my God, this was an amazing movie. Having reflected on it a bit and, you know, not been eating four pounds of popcorn and drinking a bucket of soda during the filming of this film. (laughs) um, I have since very much changed my opinion on this movie. I still enjoyed it for what it is, but I see the cracks are a lot bigger than I thought they were when I initially walked out of this film. I just think that first half of this movie just makes no sense in a lot of ways. It's a lot of stuff happens to move the plot to where the plot needs to be. But the plot, we could have skipped a lot of the scenes. I mean, like Cassian does not have an arc. He doesn't. I know everyone thinks he has an arc, but he actually doesn't have an arc because you never actually see him do one bad thing. And you almost could have, could have written it off as a mistake (laughs) Um, or a justification of, well, he was going to kill me anyway. I mean, it's, it's, you, he's nice. Jen Erso does not have an arc. She just suddenly flips from being sort of this jaded person out to get the one thing she really wants, which is her daddy, which, you know, is a fine motivation. And then she's all of a sudden this giant gung-ho hero for the for the, for the rebellion. What? Um, K2SO, however, is great. 
Uh, but he he fills his role perfectly, and I love him because sassy droids are the best. Yeah, sassy um, droids win. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I felt something even on second viewing. So I do agree. Honestly, I think this film suffers by not being in a theater. A small screen of this film did not do it for me the way that the big screen did. And I'm not sure exactly. I don't know if I have the the, the sophistication to understand why, but this suffered a lot more on small screen. It wasn't as good on the but small that said, screen. I will definitely give you that. I'm not sure why. Do you know enough to be able to explain what what what, what Scope and there? scale? Well, Straight I'm... up. I mean, Tom, go, Tom, yeah. go ahead and I'll, I'll fill in later, but scope and scale. Okay. Okay, so, uh, I mean, one, we got to talk about, you know, this, you've got really, really complicated shots, so, and they, and they wisely put stuff everywhere in this film. There is stuff in every corner. You know, I've got a pretty big widescreen TV, and I can catch that stuff, but yeah, it looks better when you blow it up on a big screen. This was shot for a main screen. This was not shot for television. You know, the Mandalorian, yeah. they wisely have uh, carefully aimed for television. Uh, but um, this one was definitely shot for a big budget, big screen, IMAX. There was an IMAX release for this. It was great, uh, by the way. And I, yeah. And the thing about it is, uh, there's also the sound effects too, because there are so many cool uses of sound effects in this film. They, you know, the sound crew really went to task on this one. They made sure when those uh, X-wings fly by, you you would hear it go around like they really out of all the star wars ones i think they really were like we're gonna do a mix of spat of practical and um traditional yeah. and cgi we're gonna do and especially for the sound and we're gonna make it really work they wanted oh. to be a big event yeah know, I, 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 didn't i i've always said was missing a couple things but i think that simply was they just didn't go for it this one they went for it yeah i, I will say that i i on both viewings, even trying to look, I, I could not find CGI problems with this. I couldn't tell you where the practicals start and stop. I know there's practicals because of the way the actors are moving with it. Uh, this is, you know, this is literally redeeming the effects shots that the, the original prequel trilogy screwed. Like this is, we will give our actors enough material to work on in front of the green. And there are did. two places where the CGI fails horribly, but I'll talk about them later. You yeah, I mean, they, than I do. they built their sets built. They are walking around sets for a lot of this movie. And that's, I think, helped yeah. a lot. Now, not everything. They blue screened a decent amount of this film because that's, you know. Sure. You know, you but there was it. enough for them to act uh, off in, within the blue screen set. It's not just a bunch of blue stuff and literally the actors. I mean, you can see in the prequel trilogy um, behind the scenes stuff where there'll be two actors walking and there's just nothing but blue or green or whatever, you know, whichever screen they were using, and maybe a few ramps that are the same color that are hard to see, and it's just very sterile. Whereas in this, the behind-the-scenes stuff is you see, yeah, there's a blue screen, but there's also major practical props in the scene. There's also yeah. people in in suits or costumes that are better than just the goofy head on top of some dude's head that you know Jar Jar was. Um, there's a lot more yeah. for the actors to act with and that's a good thing and yeah. the, and this film does a really good job with the special effects barring two things but i need to talk about those i'll, I'll talk about those later those those are really not important right now yeah yeah and yeah. i i think it helps that you know now admittedly let's be honest this had two directors <laughs> yep. as well gareth edwards is the credited director tony gilroyd who is the one of the writers on the script he directed the reshoot so gareth edwards had nothing to do with the reshoots which was pretty much the last well, again, we shot that. this they is two films bolted 
together. I mean, there is. And, and it, you can tell. It's, it's obvious. <sighs> Disney was like, you know what? We want to get this movie finished. Let's just work on what, what's important, which is the last half, which is what this plot really is. The idea of this film was, hey, how did they get the plant? You know, how, how did they steal the plants of Death Star? I mean, you, do you really need to know? But, hey, we could really have a fun story out of this. And, you know, they crafted this, which is, okay, well, we got to explain who this group is before we send them out there. I give them credit for trying. The problem is, is like I said, they they it kind of they forced gumped it a little bit in the, some of the scenes where just characters kind of ran. Oh, hey, look, here's Walrus Man. Oh, well, we better get off the planet. We got to go to uh, Tatooine before they get shots. Yeah, you know, it's like it's got those moments that are kind of like you know not necessary. It's funny to see those characters pop up, but at the same time, it's like, did we need this? But when we get to the second yeah. half of the movie, which is pretty much after. Um, you know, after they decided what they're going to do, they find out that the plans are on Scarif. There's a flaw. They need to steal the plans to find the flaw. That's when the movie started, the reshoot started, and apparently it, the, act, the actors were given different directions, and the script had been changed, the dialogue had been changed, and intentions had been changed. And I'll reveal something that a lot of people don't realize. Jen and Cassie were supposed to survive this movie. <laughs> huh. I think that would have made a worse film, honestly. Yes, absolutely. This is better. I mean, it's a better movie. Yeah, they made, but I understand the impulse. They were trying to reconcile it with a tone of like. Yeah, I mean, how many Jenner so uh, fashion dolls are you going to be able to sell when the sequel is just a box full of ashes? I mean, <laughs> well, there's that. There's that. Too. I mean, there's that too. There's that. Uh, so, let's talk about the beginning. The, the things in this film that I think are very disjointed. So, every, I mean, it's hard to just keep me from saying. Everything in the first half of this film is disjointed and doesn't make sense. Uh, but let's talk about the character who actually has a pretty decent arc in this film, Bodie Rook, who's the pilot. And I had to look up that name because I just remembered him as the pilot who defected. And I thought, yeah. and I didn't want to say that over and over again. <laughs> so Rook, he defects. He ends up going to – he defects because Galen Urso, Jin's dad, is like – Oh my God, I'm building this incredibly horrible thing. Hey, can you just take this package to this guy I know? And because if you don't, a whole bunch of people are going to die. And you can understand that he's like, yeah, okay, I get it. I'm just a, you know, he's, he's not, he hasn't bought into the Imperial thing. He's just a cargo pilot and you buy it. Yeah. You know, you buy his performance. This guy did a great, the guy, the actor did great. Um, oh, he's a fantastic actor. Right. He, uh, Riz Ahmed. He's great. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he goes to Sagarera, and Sagarera tortures the shit out of him and sticks him with this weird tentacle monster. <laughs> and we don't know what the fuck that was all about because it doesn't actually play into the rest of the film. It's just a thing that they put on screen yeah. that happened, but it doesn't like he does. He's not. That, that's he's, a Clone Wars reference. He's not traumatized by it. He's not upset about it. I mean, he's a little. He's like a little miffed that it happened, but he's not a, like, there's no trauma for yeah, front. He just sort of gets over it really fucking fast. And everyone's like, yeah, that's just Saw Gerrera. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. You don't get to do that. You don't get to get away with yeah. just, mm, that's our Saw. No, 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 no. So that doesn't make yeah. him. I, I loathe everything about that character. I don't like him in any where, anywhere it's shown up. Yeah. I think he's not a good character. Just tonally wrong, badly written, badly. Right, done. and then so they they insert a little Kyber crystal reference. Ha ha ha! That's clever. Um, they uh, as, I love Donnie Yen. He's the, he's the best Ip Man that was ever in a Star Wars film, which he totally is in this movie. Yeah. And yes. But ain't no one dressing up as Bay's Malbus for Halloween is what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, 
I love Baze Malbus, honestly. I love their relationship. I love that it was a relationship that you could feel in, like, I mean, these guys have maybe in a minute and a half of screen time together, which is really a shame because they're some of the more interesting characters in this. But you feel it. Like, you actually feel that they had a relationship. You understand why they do things. The little nods to, is he Force-sensitive? Is he not? You never really know. That was very clever because it's portrayed as a religion, which definitely segues in with the lines from Han Solo in A New Hope about this being this ancient religion and everyone thinks he's crazy for following it and that makes perfect sense. It's a shame that he's almost wasted in this film. He's cool but I would have liked to see more of them and maybe not some of the other characters. Uh, but I am glad that Saw Gerrera got blown up because no one liked him and he was terrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Even Jen who apparently spent like yeah, again, and also no one's upset. Like, man, we just they blew up an entire city. Yep, that sure does suck balls. Well, off we go. Jesus. Oh, yeah, it's an ancient city that we yeah. never get back unless Everyone's just like, balls. well, I guess it's gone now. <laughs> the Jedi original temple. I know, and by the way, you know, that's another case where they were like, we're going to take all this expanded universe stuff we've been building in Clone Wars, in the comics, and we're going to use it. Yeah, but they're going to use it badly. Um, Jedi, that's a, from all those expanded universe books. Uh, they, so, yeah, they're like, we're going to throw all this stuff in and finally use it. You know, it's, you know, they didn't have General Thrawn show up, but, you know, it's uh, I'm they they resisted. But, you know, he, so, he showed up in Rebels the next year. So, But I'm going to go with why that's wrong. I would have been happier in all of this stuff if they hadn't tried to make named big bads out of anybody. They should have been nameless, faceless imperial bureaucrats. The The Imperium is not about sharing the spotlight with multiple interesting adversaries who obviously don't matter very much because they never make it into the core trilogy. I think they should have just been boring enemies. Uh, now, that may make for a worse movie. That might just be my Well, Krennic is not a good service. Thing. No. <laughs> service to the themes over good cinema, kind of. You know, I am not by any means uh, involved in making films, and I don't know enough to say wh whether or not, you know, trying to be consistent with the broadest themes of the overarching story and, you know, the arc of that universe, if you want to call it that. Uh, but definitely, I feel that, you know, Dime Store Darth Vader's or Dime Store uh, versions of any of the other villainy, you know, characters, it's just a mistake. And I think that that keeps being borne out. I don't think anyone well, here was It's not making new toys. It's the new toy. Yeah. It, that's, the, that's the down problem with it. But, you know, Lucas himself is guilty of that. So. I mean, what I will say is that uh, what's his name? The the bad guy uh, who's Krennic, name I can't recall right the guy now. in the white suit. Yeah, Krennic, Krennic, thank you, director. Krennic. Yeah, Krennic tried hard, and it's clear they they did some work putting him into the pecking order and not at the top of it. But I still don't yeah, like he, his existence. Does that a, make sense? Well, I mean, he's an engineer. He is an architect. He is not a military guy. They constantly point this out. He's, you know, he helped build the thing. He did. Yeah. He's the guy who's in charge of the budget. He's not the, he's not, you know, somebody that would be in charge of tracking down rebel. Enemies. For somebody he's so literally... fucking important to this film, everyone craps on him so much. Oh yeah. Nobody likes this guy, but that's the, that's the beauty part of it. He is totally the part, sacrificial lamb. If anything goes wrong, they, he was set. To yeah. But he should have been a bit part in that case and not 
vitally important to this movie, no. which he's not. And he's you could have replaced him with anybody. Like, oh, I know. and I I will commend the actor. He tries really hard with what he's given. It just doesn't yeah. work. And yeah. that that guy works in a lot of other movies, but even then, he's the the kind of guy like you'll get a really good performance out of him and a really bad performance. Like like Dark Knight Rises, he's such a waste of a character. <sighs> Here he's. Um, he's memorable in an annoying way, but he's not. Like, no, he he did. Way. It was good acting. It was actually like, and again, it, this is where I'm with the, the thematic and tonal problems. Like in another movie, his pathetic dedication to wanting to rise in the ranks of like Imperial middle management to become, you know, just a slightly better grade of Nazi. I mean, there's movies about like the mid grade Nazis and stuff, but you can't do that. And start. I mean, I, yes, I know they're Nazis. I mean, they even like, they wear the uniforms and they have stormtroopers, but like, you can't actually bring the horror into that. And the banality of evil horror. I just don't know. I think you could do the the banality of evil. works fine. Term Nazis for this. They're they're basically supposed to be vaguely German evil. No, 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 no. They're absolutely space Nazis. Like there's, there the, the parallels are absolutely there. It's just they're not you know worrying about religion. They're worrying about human, not human. Is there is there? Yeah, thing. they just want to kill everybody. And you know you get it. But I I think banality of evil is a theme in the Empire where everyone is disposable and everyone can be replaced, and it doesn't matter how high you get you're just another tool for the emperor and his lackey. And if you don't play by the rules, you're just another body to be thrown in the garbage compactor, you know? And yeah. I love that. I love that that is an attitude uh, for the empire, but it really only works if you don't give people names, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, this is the best example of the emperor didn't care about anything else other than, Hey, let's have the death star. Because it's the thing that can blow up plants, and that's I don't even need stormtroopers once to have a a, a a machine that can blow up a planet if they disobey with me. And that's that goes back to this whole idea: like, what was the emperor's goal? He just wanted to be able to wipe out a planet at wills at his will. So, um, but let's talk about a couple of things we definitely love. I think we all agree that once we get to the second half and the actual Rogue One team goes on their mission, it's it's really exciting. It's oh. Beautifully done. All the shots are good. All the pacing is good. Once they're in the air, uh, from the moment of taking off and coining Rogue One, which was always, that's another little clever puzzle piece thing of like, why is red, yellow, Rogue? What? You know, um, why, is it, but yeah. why is it Rogue 2, not Rogue? I don't know. Exactly. Why? They did so much clever with I that. I agree. Yeah, that, that's another common book callback because there was rogue squadron in the comics and there was rogue squadron books there was rogue squadron in, in the movie and that and this is a nice call to that yeah and so uh i think another thing we got to really praise is just the general battle sequence is fantastic you know it's very you know dir- i mean it is dirty dozen uh, to an extent you know they're going it's a suicide mission they know they're not if they even if they win they ain't getting off that planet because you got the, the shield the first time you really see a deflector shield actually because it you know jedi we don't see it we just keep saying they have to take this deflector shield down we actually see a deflector shield we see what yeah. it can do we see how hard it is to take a deflector shield down literally you have to crash a, a star destroyer into it by crashing another one into it it's uh, that's two of my favorite moments in the whole movies they're like okay that star destroyer is 
dead in the water. Let's push it into the other one. And so the whole sequence, the intercutting between the ground, it, it is essentially the same structure as the end of Return of the Jedi. Uh, Return of the Jedi, thank you. Bruce's brain not work. <laughs> um, anyway, it is, but it's so good. Like it's, it's, it, and Return of the Jedi wasn't bad on that front. It wasn't like, but there were definitely points where the cutting back and forth kind of ruined the pacing in, in, in Jedi. Well, Here, uh, we'll get to beautiful. it. Beautiful. I thought it was just beautiful. I yeah. really don't have, I mean, there may be technical pieces you two have more of an eye for than I do, but I thought they did a So the job. reason the intercutting works is because there's only two stories you're, you're intercutting between. The space battle, which is the best space battle in all of Star Wars that's been put on film 100%, and the ground combat, uh, where everybody, now you're cutting between different viewpoints on the ground combat, but it's still all the same goal. Get the plans. And then the fleet's job is get the plans away. You've got two stories that are intertwined, but are completely different viewpoints. Um, in Return of the Jedi, you've got like three stories going on, and it's just maybe a little too much because you got the, the the get the shield down, Luke and Vader and the Emperor, and the space battle. And of those three, the space battle is the least important one because it really depends on the first one going through. Um, and it just you know, there's a little bit too much intercutting there. But it mostly yeah. works. Like it's not bad. It's just not as good as in Rogue One. Yeah. This one, yeah, this one works so well because there's so many details that are. I think you know we we understand who these characters are. We understand what their motivation are. We know why this character is willing going to run out there. He, he's blind, but he's force sensitive. You know, we get those little details. We actually care when so and so gets blown up because we've had time with them, but. Uh, you know, uh, it's you know, it was junky when we saw them before, but we finally see them being useful. And yeah, I, I and it's like we feel sad when K2SO, who's been uh, you know the funniest and also the most sadistic <laughs> droid we've ever seen, go out, go down in flames. And it's really kind of tragic the way he does it too. It's like so we get these details that are so actually perfectly on point. They it pays everything pays off in a, in the way it should. Absolutely, it pays. So that's the thing. Uh, this movie is a textbook example of why it's so important to stick the landing. Because getting the back half of this film right forgives so many sins from the front half of this film. <laughs> like, the front exactly. half of this film is bad. Like, it's not good. It's it's not boring, but it's, it's almost boring. It's, it's just like you could ignore it and just start from they lift off again. The only character who really has a major arc in this is Bodie Rook. And again, ain't nobody dressing up as Bodie Rook for Halloween. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know I keep harping on that, but when the best characters are the least marketable ones, there's a reason for that. And yeah. I love Bodie's arc. He's the, he's my favorite character in this besides the yeah. droid. And I actually, I like the character. You're right. As little time as we spend with a lot of these characters, you care when they decide to go sacrifice themselves. And I thought that the guy walking across, is he force sensitive or not, was you never get an answer. But he puts his faith in it and somehow, you know, it could just be dumb luck. You don't know. And that's why that sequence is actually yeah. really fun. Um, yeah. It, it's funny too. I keep feeling like this is the Marvel Comics or a movie because it's it's very much like these are things you would find in a Marvel comic and I, I love it they they kind of nailed it you know MCU influenced film uh, and something else you know w you know there's just those little details like 
and see Vader was in the back to tank. You know, it's Mustafar little... sucked, and I'll tell you why it sucked. Because <laughs> okay. dad joke Vader is not my Vader. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. I will definitely give you dad. Joke dad joke Vader, Vader is bad Vader. Like. That whole sequence is pointless to the plot other than to have Vader make a shitty crack about choking to death. And, ha, 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 dad joke Vader. No. No, I'm sorry. But that was dumb. With, that's he's fucking with Chris. I mean, it's completely an Anakin Chris. thing to do, right? Like, I'll, I'll say this is that, you know, Darth Vader was completely on point as Anakin Skywalker because you can absolutely see Anakin Skywalker making that dad joke. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's but I didn't like the sequence. I thought it was dumb. I didn't think it added anything to the story, and you could easily cut it without really affecting anything. No, well, and the key is, if you cut that, you can still have the moment when he shows up in that one one bit where he just basically <laughs> wipes out. Uh, another <laughs> completely superfluous scene, but I loved it, so exactly. I can't say it's anything. Literally, like we gotta have Vader kick ass. Let let the fan service have room. To Sometimes you need the fan though. service, I guess, and I agree that it is that that scene is wholly and completely fan service. And you know what? I'm glad. I liked it. It made me happy because I love seeing people get lightsaber murdered to death. <laughs> and I will say, it's still. It, it actually still had service. Like there was actually something, the, the urgency of flight and like, we can't, you know, there's a certain degree to which you're going to board my ship. My ship's about as big as your ship. I'm full of people with guns. How come this is like going to end in a minute? Like, why is this? Oh, we're in a fucking hurry. Darth right. Vader's here. Shit. I absolutely love that. And they also, their knowledge of the fact that this is certain death means that Vader has been boarding ships for a while. And they are aware of what that yeah, means. Okay, right, I, I'll, I'll go with that. I think we're going to come to a final bit. Let's just, uh, I think, you know, we can just praise this ending as much as we want, but I think I'll agree. This is the one you have the most fun with. So, um, uh, of, of all the ones we've watched so far, <laughs> I say this is where we're finally getting to over the uh, crap, and now we're into the gl- glory. Is there any final thoughts you guys have for this one? Yes, CGI Tarkin and CGI Leia are uncanny valley as hell, and that is the worst CGI in this film. Uh, you know what? They didn't bother me. Maybe I just don't have the sensitivity to it. I actually thought it was okay. They were brief, and they didn't bother me. But um, I, I've heard that from other people, so I think that's one of those, does it hit the uncanny It may be a big screen, not? small screen thing, because the big screen made it painfully obvious that it wasn't good, and the small screen m- muted that somewhat. Yeah, I, that's another case where... It, I think it looks better on the on television does on the big screen, but that's probably just once again how the resolution is. But anyway, guys, thanks again, folks. If you like this, please hit us up on our Facebook group, Good Bad Nerdy Movie Podcast.